Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the June 2020 podcast. So here we are, still in lockdown in the UK. It's gradually being released a little bit, which is great, but obviously things are still not up and running properly, and they don't think they're going to be for quite some time. And as I've reflected in previous podcasts recently, Magic has been trying to fill in the gaps that have been left by the fact that we can't go to Magic clubs, we can't go to conventions, we can't meet other magicians. There has had to be a little bit of invention going on. And one of the things that's just taken place, which is a fantastic example of a great endeavour to help with this, is the British Ring, IBM British Ring, have just had a Nonvention. Instead of a convention, it was a nonvention. Their normal convention, which would have taken place just after the summer, had to be cancelled, as so many events have had to be, actually, of course. And so they decided that what they would do is that they would put an online convention instead. Now, unlike Vanishing Inc.'s um, Share Magic, which took place a couple of months ago, which was a streaming event that took place over about five hours. The nonvention took place over three days over the bank holiday weekend. And essentially what they did was they turned over a part of the British Ring website, which is um, organised and arranged by Aidan Heritage. Um, they took over part of that and divided it up into sections that were sections that you would normally find at a convention. So there was a theatre section. There was a dealer's section. There was a welcome section. It's like going up to the reception desk, if you like, at the convention. Um, the, and so they had various sections like this. And then in each of these sections, particularly in the theatre, which is where all the main events took place, they would post pre-recorded either lectures, talks or shows. Some of the material was recorded specifically for the nonvention, but most of it was, particularly the shows, those were taken by extracting previous IBM shows, acts from those, and put them together into a compilation. And then the idea was that they had a, a timetable, just like you do at a convention. And let's say at 11 o'clock, a particular lecture would be taking place. And if you went along to the theatre section, sometime between 11 o'clock when the next event started, which was usually two to three hours later, you would find a video there and the, most of the lectures were 30 to 40 minutes, something like that. And you could click on it and you could watch it at any time in that two to three hour period. And then when it got to the time for the next thing to take place, that video would disappear and the new show or lecture would be put in its place. So it, it, it worked actually quite well. Yes, there were technical glitches, as there always are with these things. It's, it's when a lot of people are trying to access something all at the same time, it causes things to crash, which, you, you know, you can't until you actually do it. You don't know what's going to happen. And there are one or two other little minor things. And of course, because a lot of the um, archive footage that was used was done some time ago, the quality of the various the actual physical quality of the of the shots of the of the video, if you like, um, varied enormously. Some were very very good, and others were were not very good at all. But it still gave you the the uh, feeling of being at a convention, uh, and I thought it was it was really quite good. Um, they had quite a reasonably varied program, and um, the shows that the the main gala show, which was on the the Saturday night, 
uh, which I don't know if it was just me. It seemed to start an hour and a half late, which I thought was quite good because, you know, like in real conventions, often they do. Gala shows often start late. So that one was starting late as well. So it was perfect. And it, it was great to see acts such as David Williamson and people like that in their pomp doing their great stuff. Uh, so it's very entertaining. And the great thing is about any of this, if you unlike at a real convention where you're sitting in the theatre and a lecture starts and you get 10 minutes in and you think, oh, dear, no, 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 this is really not for me. And it's kind of awkward to get up in the middle and walk out. So you sit there and you endure it for an hour or whatever. Not only with these lectures short, which was already a merciful release in some cases, but the other good thing was you could fast forward over the bits that you're not interested in or you could stop and go off and make a cup of tea instead. So I thought it was it was great. It was worked very well. The dealer's room had a few dealers either demonstrating or, or talking about their, their products. There were only a few. Um, and it would have been nice if they'd had a, a bit of bigger representation of the of dealers generally rather than just a few people. But nevertheless, a very, very well done, especially for a, a one off in this way. And I assume it's going to be a one off and it's not something that will be repeated unless the lockdown carries on forever. And it helped everybody, I think, just to get a flavour of the convention when the real one wasn't going to take place. So well done, Aidan. I know he put a, a huge amount of effort into combining all this, getting it all together and getting it all online. And it's technically not easy. So I think he deserves a big pat on the back. And I'm sure he's gone to lie down in a dark room now that the whole thing has finished. Of the magic books that have been published in recent times, my absolute favourite is David Regal's Interpreting Magic. It's a huge book full of not only great magic, and, and David is wonderfully creative and clever in the way that he works out his handlings for, for so many different effects, but also his thoughts. I really like his thinking and the way that he analyses magic. And part of this big book also featured a lot of interviews that he's done over the years with various big name magicians. And they're actually quite interesting at times with some of the some of the questions that he asked and the answers that he got. And one of the things that I noted was a quote from Lance Burton. And Lance Burton has said that performing is like Groundhog Day. You keep repeating the same stuff and, and it gives you actually a great chance to eventually perfect it. Now, for those of you who don't know, Groundhog Day is a film. It's a it's a famous film, comedy, and uh, it's a film in which a guy goes through a particular day and when he wakes up the next morning, he suddenly discovers he's at the beginning of the same day that he's just had. So he gets a chance to have that day again. And the same thing happens every single day. It actually drives him a bit nuts in the end because he can never get past this single day. But the point is that every day he gets the opportunity to do the day differently if he wishes. And if the outcome is not what he really hoped it would be, he has a chance to put that right. And what Lance is saying is that performing is like that. You, you do the same act again and again and again, and you keep getting the opportunity to tweak it and change it and to eventually get it absolutely perfect. And I thought that's a wonderful analogy. And in a way, it, it, him being a, a full-time professional magician and obviously a Las Vegas performer with his own show for so many years, for him, you can imagine that doing the same act night after night after night, 
If you didn't tweak it and try to aim for perfection, it would actually probably drive you crazy just to do exactly the same thing. And in a way, that's the difference between the pro and the amateur, isn't it? The pro performer often has a, a set act or his preferred tricks, which he does repeatedly to lots of different audiences. And of course, the amateur magician doesn't have that luxury, if you like. He, he needs lots of tricks to show to the same few people, whether it's family, friends, guys down the pub or whatever it might be. So in a way, that idea of performing constantly and gradually getting it until you can actually gradually get it to the point where it's pretty much perfect, is a, is a privilege that, that professional performers and busy semi-pros um, couldn't really take advantage of. I think about the close-up magician. The close-up magician is, I always think, is lucky because unlike a cabaret where a magician who does his show, he does it once or possibly twice in an evening, he's really lucky, but may, basically will do it once of an evening, if something goes wrong when he wants to tweak it, it, it might be some time before he gets his next gig when he's doing the same act where he can repeat that. The strolling or close-up or you know, general table-hopping magician, he gets to, ch to try the same act again or the same combination of tricks or the same tricks in a different order or whatever it might be to different spectator groups every few minutes, which means that in an evening you might have done the act or some of the tricks 15, 20 times or maybe more even if it's a long evening. So there is a real opportunity to, to hone the presentation, to get the patter just right, to point up the magical strong moments. And I just wonder how many of us take advantage of this and see it as an opportunity to improve? Or do we just, because we're repeating or repeating, we just get a bit slap happy maybe? That we don't try and improve it, we just go through the motions uh, because we've done it so many times before, we think, well, just do it again. It's easy. Don't need to make much effort. Whereas the true pro and, and the perfectionist will say, nah -uh. like Lance Burton, that person will say, no, no, actually, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to really get to the nub of what will make this even better than it already is. And all these repeated performances are the perfect opportunity to do just that. I rather like words and plays on words. I always have done. And I like looking at signs, public notices, and realising that if you sometimes read them in slightly the wrong way or putting the emphasis on the wrong word in the sentence, it can change the whole meaning and make something quite amusing. That plus I love slogans. Uh, sometimes things that are on billboards that are clever plays on words to make a point and be memorable. And then there are other things which are um, messages which you sort of think to yourself, why would anybody ever need to make this public? So I thought it might be fun just to pull together a few of the things that either amuse me or irritate me. The first one uh, may be slightly politically incorrect here, but this stay safe, which everybody now feels obliged to put at the end of emails. So the email can be about anything and it stay safe. Well, we're all in trying to stay safe. You know, it's a redundant use of two words. It's well meant, of course. And it's, it was the government slogan and so on and so forth. But it seems such a ridiculous thing to put on the bottom of every single email. So everybody's saying the same thing. You say, oh, really? Stay safe? Oh, that's funny. I was thinking of putting myself in the way of danger. Yeah, OK. Maybe I'm being a bit uh, 
a bit looking at that in the wrong way. But uh, yeah, well, that's one of the things that's annoying me at the moment. The other thing is when you go to the hairdressers, remember going to the hairdressers? You do remember them. Oh, good, yeah. When you used to go to the hairdressers and you'd sit down in the chair and they start cutting your hair and inevitably, because all hairdressers seem to spend an awful lot of time on holiday, they will ask you about your holiday and you'd say, are you having a holiday this year? And you'll say, uh, yes, yes, we are. And then they will say, going anywhere nice? Well, no, actually this year we thought just for a change we were going to go to an industrial estate in the industrial heartland of Belgium. Yes, of course it's somewhere nice. Why wouldn't it be? What a redundant place. Going somewhere nice? I've never heard anybody say, well, no, we're not. So, you know, I know what they mean. I know what they mean. It's just me being sarcastic. But nevertheless, I feel it's a redundant phrase. Now, in magical terms, here's another redundant, a bit of a redundant phrase, phrase where a lecturer is going through a trick and he gets to a point of doing a move. And he says, oh, well, this is so you need to get the card to to the top of the deck. Just use your favorite method. Use your favorite method. How many methods do they imagine most performers actually have? Half the time, performers haven't got a method. That's why they're attending the lecture. So the performer can tell them how he does it. Instead of which, he asks them to choose their favourite one. Like they've got this huge checklist. Mm, I think I'll do method number 47 to get the card to the top. Yes, knowledgeable magicians might have a favourite method, might have lots of methods to choose from. Lots of people don't. So don't ask for their favourite method to them to use that. Give them your method and then you won't, they won't have to find one of their own. So there you are. Here's another redundant sign. One when you, you go into the motorway services and there's one of those A-frame stands up facing you as you're going into the, into the toilets. And all it says is, slippery when wet. No, go figure. Really? Slippery when wet? It's not telling you it is wet. It's just saying that if it was wet... These tiles, these highly polished tiles, will be a bit slippery. So good job I had that bit of information on the way in. I could have done myself a nasty bit of damage. Or what about the pack of nuts I bought once? It said on the back, under allergies, caution, may contain nuts. Well, good. I just bought a pack of the nuts. If it doesn't contain nuts, I'm going back for a refund. Honestly, ridiculous. Now, here's another redundant phrase. This one happens. We've all said it. We've all said it. I've said it. Everybody says this. Let's say a situation. OK, the two of you are sitting in the car. The person sitting in the passenger seat gets out. As they get out, they misjudge the opening height of the door and they hit the head on the door. And they go, ow. And you immediately you come out with, oh, mind your head. Mind your head. He's already hit his head. How can he mind his head now? It would have been really helpful if you told him to mind his head before he got out of the car, not say it after he's already smacked it and caused himself a lot of pain. Totally redundant phrase. Why do we do it? Signs. Now, why is it? Have you, and perhaps you can help me with this. Does anybody know what a danger man is? Because apparently they always work overhead. Yet when you're walking through scaffolding, it says danger men overhead. See what I mean? And you've got to put the emphasis on the wrong word and suddenly it changes the whole meaning. And then what about on motorways? You're driving down the motorway 
and you come you can see the roadworks approaching you and you think oh no and all the traffic starting to slow down and there'll be a big sign and it will say delays until december you think crikey it's only march and i haven't brought any sandwiches hmm yeah could be couldn't it and then talking about uh, motorways my favorite one on a motorway is where you're going along and I'm, i can't remember exactly which motorway it is now it's somewhere in the north of england anyway i believe but it's got a whole stretch of the motorway where they've got street lamps well of course in a lot of places on the motorway you don't have street lamps but this particular section does have street lamps but just as you're coming into this section there's a big sign up and it says street lamps not working midnight to 5 a.m yeah because you know when it's dark what a stupid time to put street lamps on i mean why would you possibly want to put a street lamp on so that people can see in the dark way better to have them on all day and then at midnight switch them all off all the time it's dark and then just as it's getting light at 5 a.m put them all back on again blindingly brilliant see what i mean it's good fun isn't it and i'm sure you've got lots of favorite uh, signs and sayings that irritate you as well one of the upsides of being housebound and locked down for a few months has been that it's given me a chance to release some items that i've wanted to release some of them for quite a while and just not had time to get round to getting them ready for marketplace and this month I'm releasing yet another one. This is something brand new and it's called The Tube of Wonder, a deliberately sort of over-the-top title. And uh, it's a really nice, I think, and puzzling, simple, quick effect suitable for a close-up show or a parlour performance. It uses a tube, a glass and a sponge ball. And I'm not going to tell you any more than that, but it creates a very puzzling, very clean effect that you're going to love. Now, there's a demo of it on my site now because uh, I've just released it on the 1st of June. Uh, go and watch the demo. I hope you enjoy watching that. And it's very economical to buy. It's only £7. And you can download the Trick Clip Extra instructions, which are video downloadable video instructions, to give you exactly the handling that you need and just look how clean that handling is it's it's a nice quick great i think a great trick to open and act with and it's a lot of fun to do so i just wanted to point you in the direction of that so like a little mid um, um mid podcast commercial there for the tube of wonder and you can go and find a demo of that right now on my website I'm a big fan of online blogs. In fact, uh, I've actually been writing my own chatter blog since September 1992. And I've published one every single month, never late, always at the beginning of every month on the first of the month since that time, every single month. So there's there's an awful lot of them now archived on my website that you can go and read. I think the great thing about a blog is that it allows you without writing a book about it to take a subject to do with magic and to sort of go through it and chat about it and analyze it and pick it to pieces a little bit i think it's fun to do because sometimes you feel perhaps very strongly about something and you want to put across your point of view use it as a bit of a soapbox i guess or somebody else makes a comment that you perhaps 
take exception to or you feel is wrong or that you really heartily agree with and you want to record your uh, the fact that you do agree with what they're saying and explain why. It, it's wonderful because unlike, say, a Facebook pa- post or something like that or putting something on Twitter, a blog actually allows you to develop your train of thought and to put across something, hopefully, in a coherent and interesting way. The thing about blogs is that you have to, I think, identify who you want to read the blog. Because otherwise, how do you know what subjects to write about? Now, as magicians, we, our websites, do different things. I've got two websites. I've got one that is all to do with people wanting to book me for a, to, as a performer. And I have a blog on that, which I don't actually add to very often. And then I have a blog on my Mark Leverage Magic website, the chatter one that I've mentioned, which I am absolutely systematic and regular with putting posts on the first of every month on. And the great thing about the Mark Leverage Magic one is that I know I'm talking to you guys. I'm talking to magicians who are interested in all the intricacies of magic. And there are infinite numbers of topics that when you really start to think about it's a bit like with this podcast coming up with things to chat about well the 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 chatter blog is the same i have to think okay who am i talking to what would they like me to talk about what would be interesting for them to read about but if you don't identify who your readership is likely to be you could be putting blogs out there that are all different types and they're just missing them up people are not finding them interesting and they're not reading them because you haven't thought about who it's intended for and i and i think when i've I've read quite a number of magic blogs and some of them are excellent and i really enjoy reading them and others i i'm sort of wondering why they're writing them or certainly who they're writing for one minute it seems totally relevant to someone like myself and the next minute, it's completely and utterly outside my realms of interest. I'm thinking, well, is this just me being too narrow on stuff? No, this really is writing for somebody completely and utterly different. Um, trying to please everybody, I suppose, at some point, you may end up pleasing none. Because it's, then I think, oh, this isn't for me. I'm not going back there. So if you have a website and you want to be seen as an expert in what you do, then analyzing what it is who is reading for instance if you're a children's entertainer uh, who's going to be looking at your website well presumably it'll be the parents of children who are having parties or are you going to have sections of your website that is designed to be seen by the children themselves with interactive things because if you were to write a blog for the parents what you say the words you use the length of it whether it has any pictures or video in it would be very different than if you were writing in that section for the children themselves. And if you're writing for the children themselves, children have to be old enough to read if it's going to be something written. Video's fine because they don't, uh, that's much easier. You can take that down to a lower age limit. But you have to think what's the topics that these kids would be interested in? What would engage with them? How can I get them involved with me in some interactive way on the website? And a blog can can do that each month or every couple of months, if you like, you come up with something new to encourage people to come back to read what you're saying this month and what fun things you've posted this time. And I think, as I said earlier, whereas with a Facebook 
it post it's, it, it tends to be a bit quick and it's gone a blog is more static it, it's there and, and in the case of my chatter ones which are a bit addictive by the way once you start to read them you find oh what's the next one what's the next one you, you find because they're not they're not sort of uh, linked as such but they're all on the subject of, of magic and magicians and uh, there are so many different aspects of that which I think are very interesting and also they become a timepiece because if you go back and read some of my chatter blogs from the 1990s and the early 2000s the things I was talking about sometimes predicting what's going to happen in the in the future in magic you can now look at them with in hindsight and see how accurate that was and were we on the right track and did those things happen or not do those comments that I that I made in 1998 still hold true it's it, I think it's really interesting because they do become a timepiece but certainly for your own blogs if you're going to write one think about who you're going to uh, get to read this and then make sure that all the content is targeted directly at that that sort of body of people and if you do that and people start to get to like it and it brings them back to your site your site and when they finally do want to book an entertainer well maybe it's you the expert who writes all the interesting blogs that they'll think of booking on occasions i've either heard or i've read magicians having discussions about whether when it comes to magic publications magic books it's better to have the printed versions or ebook versions. It's interesting. People say, well, which do you prefer? Do you prefer an ebook or do you prefer a real book? And I've often thought to myself, why should you have a preference for either? Because actually they are both valid for different reasons. The same book, let's say a book is hardbacked, beautifully produced, runs to hundreds of pages, looks gorgeous on your bookshelf. When you open it up, the contents are really not that good. Are you happy that you've got a nice printed hardback book on your shelf, but actually there's nothing in the book that you, you can use? What about if you have an e-book that comes? Okay, it's digital. It has nothing physical that you can stick on a shelf. And yet when you start to read it, you get really excited because there's so many usable tricks in there. Surely aren't you delighted it's not the fact whether that was digital or whether the other one was printed. It's that the content was good in one and not good in the other. You could have reversed it. It could be that the printed book is full of wonderful magic and the ebook is full of dross. So th this conversation that people have about whether ebook is better than a printed book, on the level that when you're talking about the actual validity of the content, I don't think there's an argument to be made for either. I think it just depends. It's a preference of the producer, the person who's actually printing the publication, as to whether they decide to go down the printed route or go down the digital route. I used to, years ago, produce physical books. Now I don't. All my stuff is downloadable. So now everything is turned into ebooks. The contents of my Strolling Magician book and the Master Routine series collected works, the contents is exactly the same, whether it's in physical copy as it used to be or whether it's in digital format as it is now. The fact is I'm just delivering it to the customer as an ebook. It means the price is cheaper. It means it more accessible to the customer. And there are advantages to ebooks. They're easier to search and jump around in. But you can't riffle through them and pick them off a bookshelf and just browse. That's a downside. So there are pros and cons. But I think 
certainly when it comes to technical books such as magic books for me anyway um, there are one or two exceptions to this but generally speaking if you're buying a book for the contents then the format in which it's delivered should in theory be irrelevant now there are exceptions there are some books by notable authors I mean take for an example Patrick Page's page by page book that's a book that is absolutely stuffed full of wonderful Patrick Page routines the content is strong but the actual physical book with it with its black shiny slip cover and open it up and it has this quality feel to it the actual book is a pleasure to own as well if it had been produced only in digital format the content still would have been great but in this particular case the actual physical nature of the book having this heavy book on your table or on your lap when you're reading it is a pleasure as well I'm a sort of I sell only digital books but I do love physical books too um, outside of magic there are some books that I buy for my Kindle digital books or for my computer to read on it other times I will certain types of book I actually want to have the hardback version or the softback version the physical copy it depends what the content is whether I, I buying the book partly as a, a pleasant physical object whether I just want to read the contents so which do you prefer or is it a redundant question for you too are you the sort of person that only ever buys physical books in which case people like Vanishing Ink and Magic Scene of course we produce books physical books as well as digital books then you know you you can buy those those people who prefer the convenience of digital where they can take their entire library with them on their phone how convenient is that by the way then they can have the digital version I think both versions are equally valid and both give you a win-win situation well thank you to listening to the June podcast hope you've uh, enjoyed that hopefully next time I speak to you on the 1st of July we will be unlocked a little bit more and starting to get back to normal. I really hope so. And oh, by the way, stay safe. <laughs>